Chapter 10 of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter 10. During Faulkner's visits to Zante, Elizabeth had been led to remark the faithful attentions of his chief follower, an Albanian Greek. This man had complained to his young mistress of the recklessness with which Faulkner exposed himself, of the incredible fatigue he underwent, and his belief that he must ere long fall a victim to his disdain of safety and repose which, while it augmented the admiration his courage excited, was yet not called for by the circumstances of the times. He would have been termed rash and foolhardy, but that he maintained a dignified composure throughout, joined to military skill and fertility of resource, and while contempt of life led him invariably to select the post of danger for himself, he was sedulous to preserve the lives of those under his command. His early life had familiarized him with the practices of war. He was a valuable officer, kind to his men, and careful to supply their wants, while he contended for no vain distinctions, and was ready on all occasions to undertake such duties as others shrunk from, as leading to certain death. Elizabeth listened to Vasily's account of his hair-breadth escapes, his toils and desperate valour, with tearful eyes and an aching heart. Oh, that I could attach him to life, she thought. She never complained to him, nor persuaded him to alter his desperate purpose, but redoubled her affectionate attentions. When he left her, after a hurried visit, she did not beseech him to preserve himself but her tearful eyes, the agony with which she returned his parting embrace, her despondent attitude as his bark left the shore. And when he returned, her eager joy, her eye lighted up with thankful love, all bespoke emotions that needed no other interpreter, and which often made him half shrink from acting up to the belief he had arrived at, that he ought to die, and that he could only escape worse and ignominious evils by a present and honourable death. As time passed on, as by the arrival of the forces from Egypt, the warfare grew more keen and perilous. As Vesely renewed the sad tale of his perils at each visit, with some added story of lately and narrowly escaped peril, fear began to make too large and engrossing a portion of her daily thoughts. She ceased to take in the ideas as she read. Her needle dropped from her hand, and, as she played, the music brought streams of tears from her eyes to think of the scene of desolation and suffering in which she felt that she should soon be called upon to take a part. There was no help or hope, and she must early learn the woman's first and hardest lesson, to bear in silence the advance of an evil which might be avoided, but for the unconquerable will of another. Almost she could have called her father cruel, had not the remembrance of the misery that drove him to desperation inspired pity instead of selfish resentment. He had passed a few days with her, and the intercourse they held had been more intimate and more affectionate than ever. 
as she grew older her mind enriched by cultivation and developed by the ardour of her attachment grew more on an equality with his experienced one than could have been the case in mere childhood they did not take the usual position of father and child the instructor and instructed the commander and the obedient they talked with open heart and tongue affectionate and true a pair of friends and the inequality which made her depend on him and caused him to regard her as the creature who was to prolong his existence as it were beyond the grave into which he believed himself to be descending gave a touch of something melancholy to their sympathy without which in this shadowy world nothing seems beautiful and enduring he left her and his little bark under press of sail sped merrily through the waves she stood to watch her heart warmed by the recollection of his fervent affection his attentive kindness he had ever been brave and generous but now he had become so sympathizing and gentle that she hoped that the time was not far off when moral courage would spring from that personal hardihood which is at once so glorious and so fearful god shield you my father she thought god preserve you my more than father for happier thoughts and better days for the full enjoyment of and control over those splendid qualities with which nature has gifted you such was the tenor of her thoughts enthusiasm mingled with fond solicitude and thus she continued her anxious watchings by every opportunity she received brief letters breathing affection yet containing no word of self sometimes a phrase occurred directing her what to do if anything fatal occurred to him which startled and pained her but there was nothing else that spoke of death nor any allusion to his distaste for life autumn was far advanced the sounds of war were somewhat lulled and except in small skirmishing parties that met and fought under cover of the ravines and woods all was quiet elizabeth felt less fearful than usual she wrote to ask when Faulkner would again visit her, and he, in reply, promised so to do immediately, after a meditated attack on a small fortress, the carrying of which was of the first import to the safe quartering of his little troop during the winter. She read this with delight. She solaced herself with the prospect of a speedier and longer visit than usual. With childish thoughtlessness, she forgot that the attack on the town was a work of war, and might bring with it the fatal results of mortal struggle. A few days after, a small, ill-looking letter was put into her hands. It was written in Romaic, and the meaning of its illegible ciphers could only be guessed at by a Greek. It was from Vasily to tell her in a few words that Falconer was lying in a small village not far from the sea-coast opposite Zante. It mentioned that he had been long suffering from a Greek fever, and having been badly wounded in the late attack, the combined effects of wound and malady left little hopes of recovery, while the fatal moment was hastened by the absence of all medical assistance, the miserable state of the village where he was lying, and the bad air of the country around. Elizabeth read as if in a dream. The moment then had come the fatal moment which she had often contemplated with terror and prayed heaven to avert she grew pale and trembling 
but again in a moment she recalled her presence of mind and summoned all the resolution she had endeavoured to store up to assist her at this extremity she went herself to the chief english authority in the island and obtained an order for a vessel to bring him off instantly she embarked she neither wept nor spoke but sitting on the deck tearless and pale she prayed for speed and that she might not find him dead a few hours brought her to the desired port here a thousand difficulties awaited her but she was not to be intimidated by all the threatened dangers and only besought the people about her to admit of no excuses for delay she was accompanied by an english surgeon and a few attendants she longed to outspeed them all and yet she commanded herself to direct everything that was done nor did her heart quail when a few shot and a cry of the men about her spoke of the neighbourhood of the enemy it proved a false alarm the shots came from a straggling party of greeks salutations were exchanged and still she pushed on her only thought was let me but find him alive and then surely he will live as she passed along the sallow countenances and wasted figures of the peasants spoke of the frightful ravages of the epidemic by which falkner was attacked and the squalidness of the cabins and the filth of the villages were sights to make her heart ache at length they drew near one which the guide told her was that named by vasily on inquiring they were directed down a sort of lane to a wretched dilapidated dwelling in the courtyard of which were a party of armed greeks gathered together in a sort of ominous silence this was the abode of falconer she alighted and in a few minutes vasily presented himself his face painted with every mark of apprehension and sorrow he led her on the house was desolate beyond expression there was no furniture no glass in the windows no token of human habitation beyond the weather-stained walls she entered the room where her father lay some mattresses placed on the divan were all his bed and there was nothing else in the room except a brazier to heat his food elizabeth drew near and gazed in awe and grief already he was so changed that she could scarcely know him his eyes sunk his cheeks fallen his brow streaked with pallid hues a ghastly shadow lay upon his face the apparent forerunner of death he had scarcely strength sufficient to raise his hand and his voice was hollow yet he smiled when he saw her and that smile the last refuge of the soul that informs our clay and even sometimes survives it was all his own it struck her to the heart and her eyes were dimmed with tears while vasily cast a wistful glance on her as much as to say i have lost hope thank you for coming yet you ought not to be here hoarsely murmured the sick man elizabeth kissed his hand and brow in answer and despite of all her endeavours the tears fell from her eyes on his sunken cheek again he smiled it is not so bad he said do not weep i am willing to die i do not suffer very much though i am weary of life the surgeon was now admitted he examined the wound which was of a musket bullet in his side he dressed it and administered some potion from which the patient received instant relief 
and then joined the anxious girl, who had retired to another room. "'He is in a very dangerous state,' the surgeon remarked, in reply to her anxious looks. "'Nothing certain can be pronounced yet. But our first care must be to remove him from this pestiferous place. The fever and wound combined must destroy him. Change of air may produce an amelioration in the former.' With all the energy which was her prominent characteristic, Elizabeth caused a litter to be prepared, horses hired, and everything arranged, so that their journey might be commenced at daybreak. Everyone went early to rest, to enjoy some repose before the morrow's journey, except Elizabeth. She spent the livelong night watching beside Faulkner, marking each change, tortured by the groans that escaped him in his sleep or the suppressed complaints that fell from his lips, by the restlessness and fever that rendered each moment full of fate. The glimmering and dreary light of the lamp increased even the squalid and bare appearance of the wretched chamber in which he lay. Elizabeth gazed for a moment from the casement to see how moved the stars, and there, without, nature asserted herself, and it was the lovely land of Greece that met her eyes, the southern night reigned in all its beauty. The stars hung refulgent lamps in the transparent ether. The fireflies darted and wheeled among the olive groves, or rested in the myrtle hedges, flashing intermittently, and filling for an instant a small space around them with fairy brightness. Each form of tree, of rocky fragment, and broken upland, lay in calm and beautiful repose. She turned to the low couch on which lay all her hope, her idolized father. The streaked brow, the nerveless hand, half-open eye, and hard breathing betokened a frightful stage of weakness and suffering. The scene brought unsought into her mind the lines of the English poet, which so touchingly described the desolation of Greece, blending the idea of mortal suffering with the long-drawn calamities of that oppressed country. The words, the lines, crowded on her memory, and a chord was struck in her heart as she ejaculated, No, no, not so, not the first day of death, not now or ever. As she spoke, she dissolved in tears, and weeping long and bitterly, she became afterward calmer. The rest of her watch passed more peacefully. Even the patient suffered less as night verged into morning. At an early hour all was ready. Faulkner was placed in the litter, and the little party, gladly leaving the precincts of the miserable village, proceeded slowly towards the seashore. Every step was replete with pain and danger. Elizabeth was again all herself. Self-possessed and vigilant, she seemed at once to attain years of experience— no one could remember that it was a girl of sixteen who directed them. Hovering round the litter of the wounded man, and pointing out how best to carry him, so that he might suffer least, as the inequalities of the ground, the heights to climb, and the ravines to cross, made it a task of difficulty. Now and then the report of a musket was heard, sometimes a greek cap not unoften mistaken for a turban peered above the precipice that overlooked the road frequent alarms were given but she was frightened by none her large eyes dilated and darkened as she looked towards the danger pointed out 
and she drew nearer the litter, as a lonely mother might to the cradle of her child, when, in the stillness of night, some ravenous beast intruded on a savage solitude. But she never spoke, except to point out the mistakes she was the first to perceive, or to order the men to proceed lightly, but without fear, nor to allow their progress to be checked by vain alarms. At length the seashore was gained, and Faulkner at last placed on the deck of the vessel, reposing after the torture which, despite every care, the journey had inflicted. Already Elizabeth believed that he was saved, and yet one glance at his wan face and emaciated figure reawakened every fear. He looked, and all around believed him to be a dying man. End of chapter 10